Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime, ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can head over to YouTube for the visual version every Wednesday or head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts every Tuesday for the audio version. And for today's case, we're going to be talking about the case of Tamla. Horseford. Now there is a lot to get through, so we're just gonna hop right into it. Tamla was born on October 10th, 1978, in the Caribbean, and then at 11 years old in 1989, she moved to the Bronx, New York. She lived in New York for a couple years before moving to Florida, and it was in Florida where she would later meet her future husband, Leander. Tamla usually went by Tam or Tammy, and Leander mostly went by Lee. Lee had a daughter from a pre previous relationship and his daughter was pretty young when he met Tamla but Tamla basically raised her like her own daughter. They had a typical mother-daughter relationship and Lee's daughter also loved Tamla as if she were her mother. She even called Tamla mom. Later down the road Lee got a job in Cumming, Georgia and that would require the family to move out there but all of them were extremely excited about this new chapter of their life and they decided to buy a family home home out in Georgia. It was in Georgia where Tamla and Lee would raise a big family of five sons and one daughter, and Tamla was a stay-at-home mom, but she was a wonderful mom. Some people describe Tamla as super mom because she took great care of all of her kids and gave all of them lots of love and attention. Tamla was described as to be a larger-than-life personality. She was lots of fun, she was funny and witty, and basically just what everyone aspires to be. She was caring and charismatic and selfless. She was very inclusive to everyone and because of that she had lots of friends and was a social butterfly. She had a magnetic personality to which when you were around her you just felt safe around her. She was open to everyone and she was a stay-at-home mom so she spent lots of time with her kids and was always involved and supportive in whatever they decided to do. When her kids did sports and clubs she was out there with a bullhorn cheering them on and for example her kids played football so if there was a bad call or someone had a bad play she would yell over her bullhorn quote you can't stop greatness and then in 2018 Lee and Tamla's daughter was expecting her very first child and so Tamla was going to be a grandmother and Tamla had a natural caretaker personality and so she was so excited to become a grandma. Tamla and Lee and their family were currently living in Forsyth County in Cumming, Georgia, and I think it's important to mention that this county has been known for years and years for racism. A man named Rob Edwards back in 1912 was actually lynched after being accused of raping a young white woman, but there was no evidence to prove this. And because of this, tons of people of color were running out of their trying to protect themselves and their families. It was actually one of the biggest ethnic cleansings in all of the U.S. In 1912, there was 1,098 black residents, and then a couple years later, it went down to little under five. And unfortunately, from there, it just got worse and worse. There was even marches in support of discrimination and racial injustices in 1987, and people showed up to these marches wearing KKK outfits. 
as of 2020, the county's population has only 4% people of color. So going back to October of 2018, after learning Tamla was going to be a grandmother, Tamla gets an invite to a sleepover from her friend Jean, who is hosting the party. And the term friends is kind of a stretch because they didn't really know know each other. Their sons played on the same football team, and so they kind of only really hung out at the football games. But Tamla was super friendly to everyone and accepted everyone, and she was actually at Jean's house the week before for a pumpkin carving party. The sleepover was said to be on November 3rd of 2018, and it was a sleepover because they planned on drinking, so they didn't want anyone driving home. The whole party consisted of mostly the moms from the football team, just to get a chance for everybody to know everybody. The party was coordinated by Jean's friend Stacy Smith, and Stacy Smith was the person who invited all of the girls and got everything together. Stacy invited eight girls, so total there was going to be 10, and the reason they were holding it at Jean's house was because her four kids weren't going to be there for the weekend because they were going to be with their dad. And then on November 3rd of 2018, that's when the sleepover was. The 10 girls were going to include Tamla, Jean, Stacy, and their eight friends, Madeline, Nicole, Marcy, Bridget, Jennifer, Sarah, and Paula. And out of all of those women, Tamla was the only black woman. Tamla didn't know many people. She only really knew Jean. And so for the most part, she kind of just met people for the first time that night. The day of the party, Jean said that she was out all day preparing for the party and she came home to Stacy and Madeline Nicole, all decorating for the party that started at 7 p.m. She went upstairs to get ready and then when she came down, everyone was basically there and that's when Tamla texted and said that she was going to be a little late. Tamla showed up at 8.30 p.m. and most of the girls had their husbands drop them off, but Tamla drove there herself because before leaving, she told Lee that she wasn't really excited about going. She said that she didn't really know anyone there, but Lee actually had plans that night that he canceled so that he could watch the kids and also Tamla deserved a night out. Tamla was a stay-at-home mom, so she really had no time out or time to herself. So before she left, her and Lee exchanged I love yous and she was off. It was supposed to be an all-girls sleepover, but two men by the name of Jose Barrera, who was Jean's boyfriend, and Tom Smith, who was Stacy's husband, showed up. Jean had a theater room in the basement where Jose and Tom stayed for most of the night watching the LSU versus Alabama game while all of the girls hung out upstairs. And a lot of people said that when Tamla showed up that night, she showed up in high spirit. She was her excited, usual, bright and charismatic self. She walked in and took off her boots and she insisted to put on her adorable pajama matching set with little Dalmatian paw prints all over. Tamla actually bought a really nice bottle of tequila for Jean, but Jean actually hated the gift because she said that she hated tequila and she wouldn't be drinking it. And Tamla ended up having several tequila and waters that night. Tamla was the only one in the group that smoked and so she would often go outside for a cigarette break. The only two girls who weren't going to drink that night was Sarah and Nicole because they planned on going home early. And surprisingly, with these interrogations from everyone story, it seems to be about the same. Although there are a couple of mishaps, most of them seem to be the same story. The night went on and all of them were snacking, drinking, watching the game, and the more they drank, the more fun they had. 
and everyone was able to handle their liquor pretty well, except for Jennifer, aka Jen. And this is because Jennifer actually had a DUI and history of abusing alcohol. And as I said, Tamla would frequently go outside several times for a cigarette break, but someone always accompanied her. She never went out there alone. And in the beginning of the night, Madeline, who was also Janine's aunt, went with Tamla to actually smoke some weed, to which Stacy Smith had admitted to taking one puff. But Janine and Madeline later stopped because they were caught by Janine, who got upset because her boyfriend Jose was there, and Jose is a pre-trial probation officer. Now, as I said, Jose and Tom stayed downstairs watching the game, but at halftime, they actually came up to eat because Madeline had made some gumbo soup. And for the most part, everyone that night stayed inside of the home, except at one point in the night, Janine had told Jose to run to the gas station to get more ice. The men went upstairs to eat their food. They decided to accompany the woman upstairs to watch the end of the game. And the last person to arrive was Paula at 10 p.m. And as Paula was arriving, Sarah and Nicole were getting ready to leave and left at around 10.30 p.m. That's when Tamala decides to FaceTime Lee and the kids and say goodnight. And she passed around her phone showing off all of her kids and saying hi to her kids. And Lee said that when he was FaceTiming Tamla, she seemed in good spirits. Nothing was off. All of the girls were laughing and interacting with each other, and she was just her usual energetic self. Tamla also called her daughter just to say goodnight and hello. Once the game ended, they decided to play Cards Against Humanity for a little while before going to bed. Marcy took Jennifer up to bed because she was really, really drunk. As I said, she had a DUI and history. And so they went to bed, put on Shrek, and went to sleep. Around 1 to 1.15 p.m., that's when Tamla says that she'd just rather go home instead of sleeping there, but Stacy, Tom, and Janine said that it wasn't a good idea that she'd gone home because she had been drinking. So after this, Janine and Jose went upstairs to go to bed. Stacy would say that Tamla looked pretty upset because she didn't have anyone to sleep with while everyone else did. So before Stacy and her husband Tom went upstairs to go to sleep, she laid her phone next to Tamla's so that their, quote, phones can sleep together, which I'm not really sure what that means, but that's what she said in the interrogation. So the only people that were awake at this point were Tamla and Bridget, and so they hang out in the kitchen, and Jose actually says that he went to the basement at one point to grab his phone charger, and he saw them hanging out, but didn't really think much of it, so he just grabbed his phone charger and went back upstairs. Now, the reason Bridget was still up was because she wasn't sleeping there. She was going home and her husband was on the way to pick her up, and this was because she has really bad anxiety, especially when sleeping in new places. Bridget said that Tamla was just eating some gumbo and told Bridget that when Bridget left, she was just going to go have a smoke and then go to bed. When Bridget's husband arrived, Tamla walked Bridget to the door, kissed her on the cheek, and said goodnight. And supposedly, after this is when Tamla had her cigarette and went to sleep. So Janine's house actually has a security system that logs every time the front and back doors are open. So at 1.47 a.m., the front door is opening and closing, which makes sense because that's about the time Bridget left. And then shortly after, at 1.49, the back door opened and closed, which would make sense because Tamla said she was going outside for a cigarette. And then after this, the door was then opened again at 1.57 a.m., 
but weirdly, it was never closed afterwards. <clears throat> and then a few hours later at 4.10 a.m., that's when the front door opens and that's because Marcy left to go home. She said that she left early because she got a new job at Coach and wanted to wake up early to go home and get ready and take a shower before heading off to work. But what was odd about this is that Marcy's shift didn't even start until 10.30 a.m. So waking up at 4 to go leave and go home is kind of a little early to be leaving. The second person to leave was Paula at 7 a.m. And then between 8 and 8.30 is when Stacy and Tom woke up and went home. And Stacy said that when she went to the living room to grab her phone, because as I said, her and Tamla's phones were sleeping together, she saw Tamla's phone sitting right next to hers. After this, Madeline, Janine's aunt, wakes up at 9 a.m. to make herself some coffee. And as she walks by the backsliding door from the kitchen to the backyard, that's when she sees Tamla face down on the ground in pajamas and not moving. But weirdly, in this situation, if you were to see something like that, you would run over, you would try to help them, you would try to see if they were breathing. But Madeline goes on to say that the first thing she does is drop down to the floor and pray. So after praying, she gets up and she runs upstairs to go tell Jose, but she could have sworn that she heard water running and she didn't want to interrupt in case they were showering together. So she went back downstairs stairs and then realized that she needs to get Jose. So she went upstairs and knocked a little louder and Janine had opened up the door. And so she asked Madeline, like, what do you want? And she says, I need to talk to Jose. And and Janine goes, well, why do you need to talk to Jose? And that's when Madeline says, quote, I saw your friend from the islands laying outside on the ground, not moving. When interviewing Jose, he actually said that neither him or Janine were showering. There wasn't any water running. He was actually woken up by the knocking of Madeline. So Jose and Janine quickly put on their clothes. They went downstairs and called 911. But another really weird part about this is that, as I said, Jose was a probation officer and he actually attended the police academy and in the police academy they teach you things like CPR and other life-saving techniques to which he was indeed professionally trained in yet he used none of it when he saw Tamala. In the 911 call Jose says that Tamala's body is laying face down without her head being turned on either side and her arms were straight to her side palms up and her legs were also straight down. But from the police reports, it says that her left arm was extended from her body as if she was trying to brace her fall. Now, right above where Tamla's body was, there was a balcony and it actually stood about 14 feet away from the ground. So the police believed that maybe she was standing up there, but she was too drunk. And so she tripped and fell off. And so that's why her arm was extended because it was an accident and she was trying to brace her fall. But it is believed that maybe the police had moved her arm so that they could just rule this whole thing as an accident, as if she tripped or fell because it would be easier to close but Janine tells the police that no her arms were not bent she says that she saw it Jose saw it and Madeline saw it and that 
And that image of Tamla is now burned in her head. So she knew exactly how Tamla's body looked like. So the police and everyone else is going with this story that maybe she went to go have a cigarette upstairs on the balcony, but she was too drunk and accidentally fell off. But the weird part about this is that, as I said earlier, Tamla went to the backyard in order to smoke her cigarette. She would just go out in the backyard. She would never go upstairs and go on the balcony. And the deck area wasn't really a place where people were hanging out either. They were actually only up there once to start a bonfire, but realized there was no propane in the tank, and so then they went back downstairs to the living room. And when Tamla went out to smoke, she always smoked in the backyard because, again, why would she go all the way upstairs just to have a cigarette? The police brought everyone in for questioning, and Janine was asked by police if she could call everyone that came the night before so they could have them in for interviewing. But while waiting for the interviews to start, everyone that was at the party was left in a room together, unsupervised, to talk about whatever they wanted before the actual questioning had started. So that basically left everyone a lot of time to try to figure out a story and ensure everyone's story lined up. So while they were questioning everyone, the police went over to Lee's house to tell him the news of Tamla, and Lee was immediately met with tons of disrespect from the police. When the police showed up, Lee was in the bathroom, so he made his sons get the door, and when his sons but his sons ran back to him and told Lee that the police was there, so he ran to the door, and the police had asked him three times if Lee was his name, and all three times Lee had said, quote, yes, my name is Lee, what does this pertain to? And the police eventually got fed up with him, I guess, for answering their questions, and just yelled to him, quote, your wife, she's deceased. And it was said with no sympathy, no remorse, or no care. And that's when the police start to tell Lee that she had too much to drink the night before and she tripped and fell to her death off of the balcony. And they also told Lee that although it was ruled as an accident, so this really wasn't a crime scene, he still wasn't allowed to go over to the house and see her or just go over to the house at all and talk to anyone. And so after the police were called, an ambulance was also called and they took her body into autopsy. And the autopsy would later reveal that there was way too many injuries found on Tamla for her to just trip over the balcony and fall over. Her body had cuts on her wrists, legs, and side of her face. There was abrasions on the right side of her forehead, upper left eyelid, bridge of nose, right temple, and chin. There was blunt force injuries to her torso and extremities. As far as interior, there was cuts on right ventricle of her heart, her right wrist was dislocated, and there was one inch cuts on her right wrist, her left forearm, and her left index finger, along with another one inch laceration to both of her legs. But although they went with the story that Tamla had fallen over the balcony, and as I said, she was laying face down with her face neither to any side, you would think that maybe she would have a broken bone, like a broken nose, a broken face, crushed teeth, but none of that had happened. Her teeth were in perfect condition. She had no fractured bones in her face, shoulders, abdomen, or back. And although all of the cuts found on her were small, she suffered severe injuries to the head, neck, and torso. The toxicology report said that her blood alcohol concentration was 
0.238, which is three times the legal amount, and had traces of THC from the weed that she had smoked earlier. But oddly, in her system, she was found with Xanax, and she, and when they found it in her system, it wasn't metabolized in her liver yet, meaning that she had recently just consumed it. Her cause of death was blunt force injuries, and her death was ruled as an accident. They said that all the injuries lined up with a fall, and no injuries suggested foul play, but also no photos were taken of the crime scene or pictures taken during autopsy which is insane because even during the autopsies pictures are required and the crime scene itself was also very poorly documented there's very few photos it seemed like they just were in and out of there in 20 minutes and so since she had no broken bones in the face that suggested that she definitely didn't fall from the balcony and so the police's theory was that maybe she fell on ground level because in between the patio and the grass there was like a a layer of rocks kind of like decorative rocks and so they said that maybe she could have stepped over those rocks and fell on the ground but that would make no sense because falling on the ground may you know damage you it may cause a few cuts and bruises but it definitely won't kill you and it seemed like the police were really just trying to close the case as fast as possible which was extremely unfortunate and to make matters even worse lee and his family is going through the most traumatizing thing that they've ever been through and Lee said that when he went to the funeral to visit Tamla she was basically put in blackface and Lee said that it looked like someone put black shoe polish all over her face he completely flipped out and told the funeral director and they said quote well, sir, we needed to cover up the bruising. Lee described Tamla's face to be as dark as her hair, and Tamla had a lighter skin tone while her hair was jet black, so it seemed like they just took a color that was as dark as the bruises and put that all over her face rather than trying to color correct it. And he actually walked outside where his kids were because he wanted to be the one to see Tamla first before any of the kids did because it was an open casket and Lee's oldest son insisted that he wanted to see Tamla's body and so Lee said that him and his oldest son went to go see Tamla's body and the oldest son was just as shocked and traumatized as Lee was to see what she looked like which again I just think is extremely disrespectful because usually funeral directors and the people who are doing makeup at funerals whenever they're trained they're trained to do people of all different skin colors so it seemed like these people did have the experience and knowledge to make Tamla look presentable for her family but just decided not to. As the police were still investigating the case they noticed that Janine actually had security cameras in her backyard but all the cameras just so happened to be dead and when they asked her about this her excuse was that she got cameras right after her and her husband's divorce because she was scared of him and he would frequently come into the house when she wasn't home. But as time went on, things cooled down and the cameras are rechargeable cameras. And so once they died, she had lost the charger and she just never bothered to replace them. And another sketchy detail about all of this is that Jose's story was not adding up to his own story, basically. In the beginning of his interrogation, he said that he went down right away to see Tamla, like he quickly put on his clothes 
Burroughs went down there to see Tamla, but towards the end of his story, when he's recapping everything, he changes it and says that he actually went out on the balcony, but before looking at the ground, he saw a cigarette and a lighter sitting on the floor of the balcony, so he walks over, picks it up, sets it on the fireplace, and then runs downstairs. He told officers that he had OCD and it was in his way and he wouldn't have done it if he knew what he was going to see, but that's wild because Madeline literally told him, quote, your friend from the islands is laying on the grass and she's not moving. So Jose knew exactly what he was going to be looking at. And it also looked pretty odd because Jose claims that there was a cigarette and a lighter on the balcony. Tamla was the only person that smoked but Tamla always smoked outside in the backyard from ground level and from the security logs it was shown that the door was closed and opened at 150 and then it was opened at 157 meaning Tamla probably took her cigarette break outside in the backyard and another really odd thing and really messed up thing about all of this is that Janine for all of the police's hard work she bought two officers Tyler Sixdona and Mike Christian Dunkin Donuts gift cards and not only did Janine buy them Dunkin Donuts gift cards Madeline also baked all of them cookies which I think is so insanely disrespectful because if your friend just died in your house and you saw a dead body and a mother of five children who now have to grow up without a mother and a husband that now has to grow up without his wife and what what you're thinking about is giving cookies to the officers and going out of your way to buy them gift cards like where's Lee's gift cards where's Lee's cookies the police aren't suffering from anything Lee's family is suffering everything although interviews were conducted right away some of them were on the same day while other people didn't get spoken to until five days later and for some reason they never had any of these interrogations at the police station they always had it either over the phone or at Janine's house. I'm not really sure why they always went to Janine's house. I think the interrogators thought that maybe if the girls were at the scene of the crime, they would want to confess or feel very like pressured to confess. And on November 9th, that's when all of the interviews had started, but all of the interviews had ended on November 20th, which gave everyone a lot of time to get together and get a story down to make sure all of their stories stories lined up. I just think everything thus far is being so mistreated, so mishandled, and I feel like if the roles were reversed and this was a group of black women at a party and the one white woman had died, this case would have unfortunately been handled a lot differently and with a lot more care. I feel like everyone at the party should have been interviewed the same exact day and at the police station and just give them normal precaution like every regular case. So going back to the Xanax found in Tamla's system, as I said, she did not take Xanax and she was not prescribed Xanax, but police would later find that Bridget was prescribed Xanax for her anxiety and she actually wore the pills around her neck in a little necklace and it was used for emergencies. And I didn't know you could do this, but you can actually buy like little containers that look like cute necklaces and then when you open them up, 
they're all like of your pills in there. And so that's where she kept her Xanax for emergencies. But although Bridget was the only one at the party with Xanax in her possession, she claims to have never given any of her Xanax to Tamla. But police would later find out that Bridget is basically the plug for everyone at that party. Bridget has, before and after Tamla's death, given all the girls Xanax, and Janine has even gotten clonopin from Bridget a couple of times before. And so somehow the police found out that Bridget had given Stacy Xanax the next morning after the party. And when Stacy was asked about this, at first she said, no, I did not get any Xanax from Bridget that morning. But the police revealed to her that we looked through your phone and we saw text messages of you thanking Bridget for the Xanax. And all Stacy has to say for herself is, quote, well, I'm not gonna say that I didn't take it. Which, girl, like, what? Like, why are you, like, what? what is the point of lying about that? Like, there's no point. The only reason I could see her lying about this is if she knew that Bridget gave Xanax to Tamla. And so when Bridget is interrogated, I feel like her voice is a lot more low and calm, but her interrogation is a little bit more rocky, where she tends to go off topic, she goes on meaningless rants. The police are starting to think that maybe Bridget is the one that gave Tamla the Xanax while everyone else was asleep because as I said, Bridget and Tamla were the only two that were up until Bridget's husband came over to pick her up. And so Bridget's story really, really just wasn't making sense. And after this, it made the police look really suspiciously at the case and really suspiciously at Bridget and thinking that maybe Bridget knows a lot more than she lets on. But ironically, after this interrogation was done and after Bridget nearly told the truth about what happened, Jose worked at the police station as a probation officer, but he was actually caught accessing confidential information about the case and said that he just wanted to know what they knew. Luckily, after this, Jose was fired because you cannot tamper with confidential evidence, but he wasn't punished or anything. He was simply just let go. Jose said that the reason why he was looking into everything is because he was also looking into a woman named Michelle Graves, who was Tamala's best friend. Michelle Graves had made 13 Facebook posts about the case and also named and shown pictures of all of the girls who were attending the sleepover and her post ended up getting over a hundred thousand views and it really spread the word about Tamala and her case to which the girls did not like this at all. So they ended up suing Michelle for quote, suffering irreplaceable damage to their characters and reputation, which I think is wild as if this whole thing hadn't done that already for them. Shortly after suing her, the group had been harassing Michelle and allegedly even got her arrested. Earlier, I was talking about two police officers on the case, uh, Tyler Saxton and Mike Christian. Mike Christian was also later kicked off of the case after being found sending photos and confidential info about the case to his girlfriends. And I say that with an S because he had 
multiple young girlfriends. And these girlfriends had reported him to the police because why is he showing them crime scene photos and sharing confidential information? And one of the women that reported him said that she actually met him through her case and he had groomed her for over a year before agreeing to go out with him. But before all of these claims could even be looked into, that's when Mike decided to resign from his position. It was also later known that Mike and Tyler have an extensive racist background and treat many people of color with insane disrespect and there's even photos of them online posing with blackface. And unfortunately, on February 20th, 2019, that's when the case was closed and ruled as an accident, as if Tamla had just done this to herself. In 2020, in the Black Lives Matter movement, where a lot of people came together to fight for justice for all men and women of color who have died or have suffered unfair treatment by police, It's a beautiful and incredible movement to stop police violence and violence against colored people. During this time, a lot of unsolved cases for people of color were getting recognition and millions fought for Tamla's case. And even celebrities like Kim Kardashian, 50 Cent, fought for her case to be reopened. And then in June of 2020, they decided to reopen the case after getting a letter from the Forsyth County to say that they were ready to assist in any matter. But But after looking into it, the police said that they still found no further info on foul play. But a man named Ralph Hernandez, who was Lee's family attorney, sent a letter to Lee telling him that him and his team reviewed the case and said that there's a strong possibility this was a homicide. They found conflicting witness statements, evidence inappropriately handled, no autopsy photos, as well as little to no crime scene photos. But unfortunately, even when these findings were brought to police and were brought to judges, it still brought no justice for Tamla. And even to this day, her death is still ruled as an accident. There's no new evidence or progress on the case. And all of the women who were there that night still to this day talk about the case, but they kind of make jokes about it, which I think is so disgusting and evil. Janine actually posted a picture of her wearing a Dunkin' Donuts COVID mask. And in the caption, she wrote something witty like, hey, look at my new mask, or don't you guys love my new mask? And it's basically to reference how everybody thought that it was odd that she gave police Dunkin' Donuts gift cards for all of their hard work instead of offering that same sort of energy towards Tamla's family. She even went a step further to make this her Facebook profile photo, which again, I just think is so disrespectful. And even to this day, there's so many unanswered questions about this case. Tamla did not fall from the balcony. It would have been impossible for her to fall off the balcony and not break her nose or anything on her face. And it also wouldn't make sense that Tamla would just fall over outside. Maybe she was given Xanax by Bridget and she took that Xanax when Bridget left and maybe the alcohol and the Xanax combined had made her fallen over. But again, if she were to fall flat on her face, she would have broken bones because if you are passing out flat on your face, your body is now all dead weight. And so all of that weight would 
definitely at least break your nose bridge, but all she was found with was a tiny scratch on her nose. And I also don't understand how the Xanax in her system couldn't have been seen as foul play considering that Bridget was the only one with Xanax, but unfortunately this case has been no longer looked further into and unfortunately I don't foresee them looking into it any farther in the future. But yeah, that is the end of today's case. If you guys found this case interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you're on YouTube or if you are on Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts, make sure to rate it five stars because that really helps me out a lot. And yeah, I would love to hear all of your guys' thoughts and comments in the comments below. Yeah, that is all from me. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day today. Make sure to be safe out there, drink some water, go outside, and I will see you guys next week. Bye.